As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell and welcome to the Weekend Preview on the Athletic Football Podcast, sponsored by Bet365. On Fridays, we'll be here to preview the best of the weekend's Premier League action and I've got my co-host George Ellick and Bet365 Steve Freeth alongside me to help. How are you both? Good. Enjoyed a bit of Carabao Cup action in midweek. I was doing the highlight show last night, so... Um a rare chance for me to get on TV and talk about the Premier League because normally I only get to do that here. So uh, yeah, and it was a lot of goals, a lot of interesting games. I absolutely love the Carabao Cup. So um, yeah, I'm happy. I do keep saying you're on the TV. I'm a bit, you know, like that Leonardo DiCaprio man where he's like, like, like pointing, <laughs> so that, like, like he knows the guy. I do, I've seen you a couple of times recently and, and done that nice. to my wife, Steve. You okay? Glad someone's watching. Yeah, I went to Preston on Saturday and that was enough to take out of me. So I haven't been to a game midweek. I'm still recovering from that performance. Let's see what happens Friday night. Yeah, I'll be waiting with bated breath for you to bring up penalty shootouts or Stamford Bridge or something in association with what happened to Villa last night. But never mind. But the Carabao Cup was good, George. It was, it was actually really exciting. There was a lot going on, lots of goals, some fresh young talent, some, some fringe players doing the business as well for teams. It was actually a really interesting week. Yeah, I love it. I kind of come at this from two angles. As a fan of an EFL club, some of my favourite days watching Oxford have been in the last 10 years or so beating um, Premier League sides or, or going close. You know, we played Man City just before COVID happened uh, at, at the Kassam Stadium, well, about a year or so before, and we and we had the most shots any team's had against the Pep Guardiola side. We might have lost in the end, but just seeing your team coming up and playing well against that level of opposition is is something we, could, we don't get to do too often. Uh, and then I think the competition itself is so interesting for, for so many reasons. You know, it may not be the priority of certain teams. We've seen, I think, Pep Guardiola mentioned that it would be a, a tournament to get rid of despite his incredible record in it obviously in Project Big Picture um, it was going to be the competition to go as well but even last night as I say I was on the highlight show the players we were analysing were the likes of Anthony Martial Tango Ndombele these players might not be in, in the first team but the the days of, of weakened teams being poor quality are certainly over you know you look at the Manchester United against West Ham game where there were 10 changes from West Ham Jared Bowen the only survivor and 11 changes from Manchester United both teams were still high quality Premier League sides there so 
there's no real issue for me in terms of the quality itself. Then you've got the other side, the Aston Villa side, where we saw, you know, in Cameron Archer, what a talent he looks. You know, he scored three goals against Barrow in the first round. An unbelievable header yesterday at Stamford Bridge against a decent a Chelsea header. side, albeit which an incredible header, albeit with changes. Um, Carney Chukwameka coming off the bench as well for, for Morgan Sampson. Other youngsters coming through with two. The two teenagers playing for Liverpool. Uh, a back fourth Man City that was four 18-year-olds um, with Romeo Lavia, the 17-year-old holding midfield. And two players coming off the bench who are 19 and 18 in attacking roles, one of whom, Cole Palmer, scored a great goal. This is all so important. And it kind of makes me laugh a bit when you've got the aforementioned Pep Guardiola talking after the game about how the B team should be playing in, in the EFL week in, week out against Championship or League One opposition. Well, give them more of a chance here because this is an incredible competition, competitive with the fans fully on board. You know, you look at the attendances, they may not be as high as league games, but you look at the interest over, over the last couple of games or so and the interest is still there to see these guys and to give them a platform and, and enable them not only to play in matches against men and against first teams, but also matches that really, really matter to the fan bases. So, yeah, I, I'm of the opinion that the Carabao Cup, the League Cup, as it's always been, has never been more important than it is now um, for the reasons that, that people attribute to the need for B teams. Yeah, no doubt some of the young players that you've mentioned we'll be talking about in future years on Premier League preview shows. You just touched on Pep there, George. Steve, it's, it's his bogeyman. He's up against Thomas Tuchel. Not his favourite manager to come up against over over the last uh, 12 months or so. It really is. Uh, not many managers have Pep's number. I think uh, I think Tuchel comes out in front of him. I think I'm putting it down to the pressing game that they play. I think when the majority of teams try and press Manchester City, they probably don't know what they're going to do with the ball um, once they get it back. And, and Manchester City, no doubt, grab it back straight away. But in Thomas Tuchel... I think Pep's come up against the manager whose side know exactly what they're going to do with the ball and it's Pep scratching his head to get it back. So they, Chelsea seem to be making the right decisions under Tuchel on that front. That's one of the areas where, where Pep has, has fallen down recently against Tuchel. This is going to be a, an absolute fantastic game. I know it's surprised a lot of people that... Uh, that the betting is actually quite close. The fact that, I mean, it's, it's flip-flopping as we speak. Manchester City were favourites to win the game this morning at Stamford Bridge. Yet all of a sudden, you know, um, Chelsea are favourites again now. It, 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 it's, it's perfectly poised and it's a game that I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, George, Manchester City obviously drew at home last week to Southampton 0-0, which was probably the shock of the weekend. Chelsea just look imperious though, don't they? That Whatever they do, even in games they haven't played well, which I don't want to dwell on, that they, they've come up and won those games. But even at Spurs last week, you know, Spurs put them under some pressure in, in that first half. Spurs had a, a decent game plan, I, I would say. But Chelsea just just come alive. They just, they just seem to win whatever they are. Very machine-like. Yeah, I think the key for Chelsea is they're very comfortable winning in, in multiple different ways. You know, we often talk about sides having a plan A and the plan B being to do plan A better. Well, that isn't the case for Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea. They can drop into a kind of mid to low block and look to break and plan the counter-attack with the pace they've got. They can look to control the game with Jorginho and Mateo Kovacic, two of the best sentiment fielders really for a possession-based game, looking to retain the ball and then with their incisive passing break through the lines as well. They've got real quality from wing back as well. You look at Reese James, um, Marcus Alonso have both had decent starts to the season. There's no weakness there and, and there's nothing you can do to try and stop them because as they showed against Spurs, you know, Spurs just looked to disrupt their play and press them very, very high early on. 
And whilst that they had some joy in winning the ball back in the final third, it didn't really stunt Chelsea's creativity too much. They still managed to get the ball into advanced areas fairly quickly and break the press. So it, it is very difficult. And you know Pep Guardiola's record against Thomas Tuchel, not just in the Premier League, but in all clubs, reads four wins, one draw and four defeats, which for him is a very, very poor record. Uh, and I think the reason for that is that he that there is a type of team that, that Pep is very, very good at playing against. You know, if teams do look to drop in very deep, they are so good at winning the ball back that it's very, very hard for them to spring a counter at all. And when teams do come at them, they are very adept at getting in behind and breaking that down. But we saw in the Champions League final last year where the game plan changed for Tuchel. At times he looked to frustrate, at times he looked to control. They had lots of possession in City's half. City had lots of possession in their half as well. And that's where Tuchel is so good is that he's so tactically flexible that it kind of feels like Pep's met his match a bit. The one thing I would take exception to is Steve saying it's going to be a great game. Now, I am very excited about the game. It's the two, probably the two best sides in in the league at the moment going head to head and two of the best thinkers in the dugout going head to head. But these games over the last few years in the Premier League, not between Manchester City and Chelsea, but between two teams who we consider to be the best, have been rubbish recently. It feels, especially at this stage of the season, there is so much at stake. So we've seen plenty of nil-nils, of one-nils in games that have this big build-up, you know, the, the big showdown between the two best sides. And I think given both of these two teams' defensive solidity, you know, ever since Ruben Diaz has come in, City have been a different beast at the back. And we know how good Chelsea have been. You know, that Cameron Archer goal, the first goal from open play they've conceded this season. I think this could be one of those games where it'll be fascinating from a, a tactical point of view. I think those people who don't need goals to enjoy games of football might enjoy it. But I have a feeling there might not be too many goals to, to keep everyone else in, entertained. Steve, is Pep a little bit guilty of overthinking things against Tuchel a little bit? I think he's played three different formations in the, in the three meetings, completely changed personnel for all three of those meetings. He made that massive error looking back of not playing a defensive midfielder in the Champions League final. Mm. What do you think he's going to do this time? Because I think there's doubts over Rodri and Gundogan, so that leaves you with just Fernandinho from a defensive midfield point of view. But... You know, he's one of the few footballers that's older than me nowadays, so he's he's coming towards <laughs> the end of his career, Fernandinho. Lack of legs against Chelsea, perhaps. I think I think he struggled against Southampton last week, from, from what I hear. Yeah, he was close what, there. What does he do? What does he do this time? Yeah, Fernandinho was uh, yeah definitely found a lot of uh, cul de sacs last week against Southampton, didn't he? Against another thinker, I suppose. In in. Uh, in the Southampton manager, but they are still favourites to win the Premier League, Dan. Regardless of how of how slow City they are. started, they're still favourites. If they Ooh. if they played at Wembley tomorrow, Manchester City would be around even money to win in ninety minutes, and Chelsea would be pushing five to two, eleven to four. So they are still clear favourites. We saw it around November time last time when Manchester City were bottom half. I think they just drawn drawn with Liverpool and lost to Tottenham, I think it was. But they've never ever they were never ever being a massive price just because, you know, we expected Manchester City to go well and, and we expect that again. You can see that in the prices. Manchester City have still got an awful lot of respect from the bookmakers. In fact we have a market done on how many points they'll get from the next two games for Manchester City. It's away at Chelsea, it's away at Liverpool. And it's only thirteen to two that they get maximum points. So there's still plenty of respect there from a bookmaking point of view for the seasons. 
One thing I don't like about this game is that they usually both wear blue. I'm not, I can't have that. For some of the some of the games that teams wear away kits for, and then two teams playing in blue don't wear. One of them doesn't wear their away kit. Just a bit of clarity in there. Well, It'll no, be all right no, for you, pal. You know, you know what I'm saying. You can't both be wearing blue in that game. But I bet you that they both are. George, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was just going to echo what Steve said and, and add a tip. I think you'll get a decent run for your money at 17 to two on the nil nil. It might go wrong. I think the only way this game opens up is if there's an early goal. But I think this one could fizzle as they say so uh, yeah 17 to 2 for the nil nil would be the way i'd be playing this excellent stuff and it's worth saying there'll be plenty of build-up to that big game on the athletic and much much more and if you're not already an athletic subscriber you can save 33 percent at the moment to do that just head to the athletic.com slash football pod and you'll be able to take advantage of that offer this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the nba want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Game two we're going to look at is Brentford against Liverpool, Saturday tea time. Now, I'm going to give another plug for The Athletic here because I did a podcast earlier in the week about Brentford and the way they operate, George, and they, they are a fascinating club and they've had a great start to Premier League life. I think they're going to be around for a while in the Premier League. Yeah, it was always a case of, of a matter of uh, when rather than if that they got here. Um, frankly, the only thing you can hold against Brentford I think over the last five years or so is that it took them so long to get promoted because once they the made hardest that, bit the hardest bit is getting there yeah of course it is but I mean since they made that that step up from being effectively a league one side to being one of the best teams in the championship uh it shouldn't have taken them three or so years and, and as much as I respect Dean Smith as, as, a, as a manager and a coach and, and I do and I think he's you know he's shown himself to be a Premier League um, level tactician and, and manager I think him moving to Aston Villa and Thomas Frank coming into Brentford is probably the best thing that happened to them on the pitch because Frank has brought a different mentality and one that maybe plays a little bit more into the hands of a, of a, a club of Brentford's size uh, in order to, to survive at, at this level because the longer time goes on the more and more we see them becoming that you know, I've mentioned it before in this podcast, that pragmatic side, uh, and it's so impressive to see. And yeah, I've got to be honest, I didn't see that that performance and result coming up against Wolves, mainly because Wolves have been looking pretty good so far this campaign. But that just showed how devastating Brentford could be, because not only were they 2-0 up very early, but Ivan Tony had two disallowed goals. I think the handball was, was a very, very harsh as well. Um, and they just look like a side who are on merit performing really well. And you look at the data... And it supports it so far. I mean, going forward, they're not looking particularly, um, you know, they're not creating a great deal. But if you look at expected goals against from open play, their figure is 2.9, which is the fifth lowest in the whole division. You know, to be to have only conceded 2.9 goals in open play in their first five Premier League games just shows how well drilled they are and how hard they're going to be to break down. 
exciting times for Brentford for sure and I don't think this is a flash in the pan it looks to me to be a fairly sustainable way of playing and way of picking up points at the top level even that back three Steve if you look at the three across the back that's got a lovely balance so Pontus Janssen was always one I'm not I was never sure whether he could make the step up to the Premier League and be a Premier League player but so far he's doing just that yeah, they've been great, haven't they? The three at the back. Um, I, I I love Pinnock, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, for, I'm, for, I'm forever backing him to score, as probably George would be well aware. I do love a, <laughs> a, a goal-scoring centre-half at 50-1 to one each way each week. And, you know, hopefully he'll be, uh, be copping a few times this season. But they have been great at the back. I saw a lot of David Rayer at, at Blackburn. Yeah, keeper. I never forgave him for, for, for not being brave enough against Wigan when both sides were going for the uh, the title in League One. And I thought he wasn't strong enough in a, in a set play when Wigan came back from two goals down to draw, to draw two all. The only person who's still holding that against him, I think. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, 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 no. Exactly that. David Ray, we listening to this thinking, yeah, I found yeah, the one person who remembers that. <laughs> but he's been outstanding um, and, and, and he's flourished and he's turned out well from the these early stages he was brilliant in the championship and it turns out that Blackburn of absolute good Brentford I sorry have got it absolutely spot on again in the transfer market and yes everyone is talking about uh, Tony uh, it, was, it was 50 to 1 by the way to finish top score goal scorer in the Premier League you might think that's well he's never going to do that but let's not forget Bamford came up last season finishing the places with you know with 17 so uh, with four places available who knows but he's looking very mm. rosy for Brentford and their next three games are Liverpool West Ham and Chelsea and history tells us that eight points from the first five games has guaranteed safety in the past you know they want to six to avoid the drop I, I think we're more looking towards Brentford to finish four to one in the top half than than uh, than four to one to be relegated at the moment yeah, we say it's not all about Ivan Tony, but I'm about to pull it back to Ivan Tony, George, and he backs himself, doesn't he? He he, he talks talks himself up, which I actually really really like. But if he wants to know himself how good he is, there's no better test than going up against Virgil Van Dijk. Yeah, he's a very very confident boy, and that that's been the case throughout his career. Um, even when he was came through the the, the youth system at Northampton, uh, I remember seeing him playing at Sixfields as a 17 year old, and the way he carried himself, the way he moaned on the pitch, the way he was in front of senior pros showed a guy who, who believed in his own ability and wasn't gonna be dwarfed by the situation. And I think you know, however much nearly 10 years later, come up against Virgil van Dijk, one of the best defenders we've seen in the Premier League, he's going to relish this opportunity. You know, he wants to not only score goals, but he is a menace throughout and he wants to make sure a defender is aware that they've come and come up against a decent opposition in Ivan Tony. He runs the channels well, he's physical, he's good in the air, uh, he's good at bringing others into play and he's a goal threat. So, I'm sure Virgil van Dijk will know that. He's not going to take the threat of Ivan Tony lightly. But it's a really interesting matchup, and you know he's going to have to be at his best because, as good as Brentford have been defensively, as I mentioned, until the Wolves game, they'd offered very, very little going forward, and you know you wouldn't think they're going to be getting much change from a Liverpool side who've looked pretty good at the back so far. Quite refreshing to be doing a Brentford v Liverpool preview, and actually to be focused on Brentford and them being the ones that we're talking about. I think that, that, that's a, a really nice thing. So it's a fair play to Brentford because they have got off to a good start. Liverpool did play in midweek in the Carabao Cup, Steve. I thought Curtis Jones had a good game. I actually really like him as a deep midfielder. I think he's got the attributes to play as that deepest line midfielder. But has anyone from that team played themselves into contention for this game? Minamino obviously scored a couple as well. Yeah, of course. Minamino will be the one that... Uh certainly caught my eye and, and, and Divock Origi as well to being back on the score sheet as well which is good to see so there's maybe a little bit more strength in depth um, in Liverpool's bench than, than people think I think in the title race I know George has touched on this for the last few weeks that 
it's been perceived probably as a as a two horse race with, with with Manchester City and Chelsea, but Liverpool. I'm not going to say they go under the radar because Liverpool, a Liverpool fan of mine who's a pal, absolutely hates saying that. So I'll just say they're ticking along very nicely, a bit better than Steve Bruce's Newcastle, who, who always says that comment. <laughs> and George, have you got you got a tip for us? Yeah, unsurprisingly, uh, it's it's going down the the under goals route here, and I think we, we nearly got this one up the other day between uh, Manchester United and Newcastle. It's nil nil at half time at nine to four. Um, I think this is going to be certainly in the first half a really cagey affair. I, I mentioned there that Brentford's good defensive record so far is is not by luck. You know, they're not giving up very many good chances at all against Premier League. Um, Attackers, and I think the Liverpool will have to bide their time if they're going to win this. I'm a bit tempted by the by the draw half time Liverpool full time at, at, at 130, but I'd be kicking myself if that got beat because Liverpool didn't win. Because I, I do think the Brentford are going to make it very very difficult for them to do so. So I'm going to keep it simple: nil nil half time at nine to four. Next up on the agenda for us is Southampton against Wolves Sunday 2 p.m. And Southampton, Steve, they've lost lost Ings, they've lost Vestergaard, they've lost Bertrand. In their absence, you know, I don't know if they've brought them together, but they they feel a lot more solid to me so far this season. I know it's easy to say that when they've just gone and drawn nil nil at Man City, but do you know what I mean? Like, they feel a lot more cohesive. Yes, I think they've uh, they'll be very happy with um, with what they've done so far. Particularly, I mean, obviously it was a coupon buster last week. You know, Manchester City being being one to seven, so we were delighted to see Southampton go there and, uh, and keep a clean sheet. I think it was an injury time, wasn't it, that Manchester City had their only shot on target? And, yeah, it was. And, and, yeah, and, and Southampton were a little bit unfortunate. Maybe uh, Armour was a little bit unfortunate not to not to get a penalty as well. I suppose Hassan Hooter would have learned from watching his old team in, in midweek concede six as well. And um, tactically, you know, fantastically set up, as we've touched on with uh, Fernandinho not getting much joy. Um, I know Pep was moaning about only having 10 minutes to, to prepare as proposed to seven days for Hassan Hootel, but you know, he had loads of talent off the bench, didn't he? KDB, Mares, and Foden both came on. Southampton were, were well backed, uh, Dan, for, for relegation. Clearly, mm. the recruitment's been in the summer, but the recruitment's been a, a lot different. Obviously, one of their main men has gone to your guys and, and done very well, but there's been a, a lot of young talent that, that's come through the door there, and some have hit the ground running, the likes of Livramento and, uh, yeah, and Armstrong. Very good. Yeah. And some are also, you know, waiting in the wings as well. So if I'm a Southampton fan, I'd be quietly excited about, you know, the players that uh, that Hassan Hoodle has got to come in. Yeah. And what about Wolves, George? Just when you think that they're going to start going, they they let themselves down again last week? A a strange game and a strange performance. I think they were just caught a bit cold by how good Brentford were. And then even when they were given a bit of a gift, given a bit of a chance to get back in it with Shandon Baptiste, a player who, from his Oxford days, I absolutely adore, um, with a mindless sending off. Um, They were unable to capitalise. They didn't really even land a blow on Brentford with uh, playing against 10 men. So... It's it's tricky for them. I, I think if they'd got over the line in the in the Spurs game last night, um, where they were two 0 down and came back to draw two all, only to lose on penalties, that would have given them a bit of impetus. But this is a big game now because it's it's all well and good saying the performances have been there, but the fact is that Wolves haven't picked up enough points yet. They've got one win, which came away at Watford. But this is a big game because Wolves fans will want a reaction. They'll be anticipating. Um, that they're playing against a side who they'll perceive as being at the very worst their equal, um, and if they do come unstuck, then you know the the good start, the good performances, they're hard to maintain when you're struggling to actually put points on the board. Yeah, what about Ralph Hausenhurtle, Steve? Because he came with not not a massive reputation, but a decent reputation. I think at, at one point, you know, he'd have been a manager that was linked with with the top jobs. 
probably not so much over the last year or so. Why do you, why do you think that is? I suppose two nine nil defeats hasn't helped him. Yeah, that doesn't think, help. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> no, but you know, joking aside, the way that he's he's bounced back from that, I think I, I think he's you know for Southampton to keep the faith of their manager even after one nine nil, he's um, you know he's fair enough despite you know having two as well. I'm also impressed with his dress sense as well. No, I'm also outrageous this season. I don't know where yeah. he's done his shopping this year, but he's got he's got something awfully wrong. I think I think if you can carry the, if you can carry that off, you've got to have a lot of confidence in yourself, and, and and clearly he has. And I think he's done a he's done an okay job. I'm interested to see where Southampton finish this season, and and and, and there may be some suitors, you know, looking for him. But I think he's got a, he's got enough of a job to do at Southampton before he looks anywhere. I think he needs a, a new suitor, genuinely, from some of the stuff I've, I've seen him wear this season. Steve, what? What's your tip for this guy? I mean, listen, Wolves have scored two goals and Southampton have got four. Their last two matches, I think, have finished nil-nil. But in Adam Armstrong, you've got a player who's had, as uh, I think, the fourth most in the Premier League behind Mane and Salah. Uh, and the same as Bruno Fernandes. You love uh, you love Adam Armstrong. You, t- you, t- I, I do, you mention yeah. him every week. I've noticed. I think, yeah. uh, I've got his shirt here somewhere. Yeah, I, I knew he'd done, like, I knew he'd have done something for you in the past. The way you talk <laughs> about you, him, you can't see that. And and obviously with uh, uh, Jimenez and Traore not finding their scoring boots, I'm hoping that finally it clicks together. And uh, even though the market says under two and a half goals, I'm going to be going for over two and a half goals in an entertaining game. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's betterhel dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Let's look at the North London derby then. Arsenal against Spurs, Sunday 4pm. And George, is this the most underwhelming North London derby ever? <laughs> it just, it just doesn't, there's not, not a lot of excitement around it. It feels like really two teams, two stodgy teams coming up against each other, doesn't it? It does, but then I think the amount of jeopardy involved in this game itself makes it, in a way, more exciting than some North London derbies recently because this is two sides who are not in a good place. No. Two, two managers who, off the back of a poor result here, will come under pressure. You know, Nuno's manager of the month award um, papers over some pretty serious cracks in terms of the performance levels and the style of football that they're playing too. You know, the way that 
Spurs played for those years under Maurizio Pochettino is is a distant memory now because they're now a side who look to defend first. Um, I feel for Harry Kane because he's not going to be getting many chances, although in fairness, he didn't get many chances last season under Jose Mourinho and that didn't really seem to impact um, his scoring rate. And for Arsenal, I mean, I still say, I've, I've said it on, on the podcast before, I think Arsenal's demise has been massively overplayed. I, I don't think... Arsenal are, are a poor side. Yeah, I think, I mean, only in terms of the last two months, not in terms of the last three or four years. So I, I think their start to the season, you know, they, they finished last season incredibly well. People were quite optimistic. And then they had a game against Chelsea and a game against Man City and a game against Brent, Brentford where none of their key attacking players, about £300 million worth of players were unavailable in that game. And people were writing the Arteta obituaries and it was just a bit premature for me. You know, they are they are not a top four side anymore. And that, that was the case before this season. They can't compete with those teams I've mentioned there in Chelsea and Manchester City. I still think they're good enough to beat the other teams in the Premier League, as we saw against Burnley. I still think they're good enough to probably finish in the top eight. What What is par? Like, what is acceptable for Arteta this season? I think if Arsenal finish sixth, then that's a job well done in, in a time where they're trying to bring through players, in a time where Saka, Smith-Rowe, uh, and Ketia, all these guys are going to get more minutes. Erdegaard being, being brought in, Ben White, Aaron Ramsdale brought in as well. That all changes if they get beat here. If they lose at home to a Spurs side, who, as I say, their performance levels are not high, then you have to say that is the result. You know That is the result with no excuses here that has shown them up to being not at the level that we can anticipate. Um, so it, it's a massive game for both teams. I'm excited by it because there's a lot riding on it. And, and I think you know the odds themselves, people who don't really follow the betting side of things and just kind of follow the narratives of the Premier League will probably be quite surprised to hear that Arsenal are overwhelming favourites here massive favourites to win the game they're 6-5 to five to win it Tottenham 12-5 to five, the draw 23-10 to 10. now obviously home advantage has something to do with that but I think that the general idea in people's mind is that Spurs have got results but have been uninspiring and Arsenal have been shocking but the market kind of maybe reflects what I've been saying in that Arsenal have had a couple of poor performances and everyone's just overreacting a little bit to those two games. Hmm. Who do you think needs it more, Steve, at this point? Nuno or Arteta? Is it because it's at home, probably Arteta? Yeah, I mean, he's been there a while, hasn't he? Um, you know, George has, has gone through Arsenal there. I was always... I fed it... <laughs> I was chuckling away last week with a narrative about Arsenal winning at Burnley and, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be the kickstart their season. You know, they haven't lost at Turf Moor since 1973. So I think people kind of have been reading that story a little bit wrong. I, I, I want Arteta to do well. Listen, I'm not an Arsenal fan. I don't know the day-to-day stuff, but I would just imagine that he was a, he's a good teacher. You know, he's probably quite intense and probably learning on uh, on his feet with with man management and stuff like that. I suppose working with Pep certainly helped and it, and it might come with time. Um, not being helped by uh, Aubameyang, not being fantastic this season. I think he's had one goal. That was from two yards out against a defence that's the leakiest in the division, conceding 14 goals. Party coming back, I think he's, he's brilliant for them. And, and someone who, who likes to back Pepe, the guy's had 13 shots and he's got an XG of nearly two without scoring. In fact, it's the highest XG in the Premier League without scoring. So maybe he'll do that uh, this weekend. Harry Kane, clearly, I mean, he does drop deep to, to help the team. But this season, if he drops any deeper, he'll be shaking hands with Hugo Lloris. You know, he's only had, he's only had 10 touches in the box <laughs> all season. He's had four efforts on goal in 288 minutes of, of top flight football. Of course, after, you know, the uncertainty 
of the summer as well. Um, he's got a great record against uh, against Arsenal, Dan. I think he's got 11 goals in the 13 games that he's played against them. And he's only 5-4 to four to score against them. He scored a lot of penalties in that time, by the way, about five penalties against Arsenal. Um, but as regards to his goals this season, you think of Harry Kane, you think of the top goal scorer, Golden Boot. You know, he's won it a numerous amount of times. He went out to 12-1 to one for that. And we're only 130 to score 15 or less, which goes to show by very, his very high standards what a poor start he's made so far this season. Out of interest, who's down to finish higher out of Arsenal and Spurs with the bean? Yeah, Spurs are currently, obviously because they had a very good start, you know, nine yeah. from nine and, and Arsenal were, were zero from three. So it's currently one to two Spurs, six to four Arsenal. But of course, that could change a great deal after the weekend. George, I'm going to come to you for your tip, but my tip is actually that no one ever cares about my tip because I don't get asked to do one, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> you know, these teams have both only won games 1-0 this season. Every every win for these, these two teams has been one goal. So I'm imagining it's not going to be a high-scoring game. Yeah, um, I, th- I think you're probably right there. And that's reflected. Although, I mean, under two and a half is four to five. So not a too prohibitive a price with Bet365. Uh, I mean, I, I think Arsenal are the more likely side to win this. Do I think they're a bet at six to five? Probably not. I, I think it's short enough. So I'm kind of going down the the cards angle again, um, which was successful last week. You know, I tipped up uh, Pontus Janssen to get a card at seven to two, I think it was, which he obliged with quite late on. It was Good so shape, many George. cards in that Good game. Shape. But Ben White here looks like a massive price to me. I mean, Craig Pawson's refereeing, who um, likes to dish out cards. And this is the North London derby after all. And I'm pretty sure we'll see a fair few of them uh, dished out. And you look at the players on the list to be carded. Um, you've got other centre-backs, you know, Pablo Murray's at 11 to 8. Um, you've got Callum Chambers there at 2 to 1. And so Ben White being 9 to 2 strikes me as being you know, anomalously, if that's a word, big. Um, he was booked a couple of games ago against Norwich. If you look at last season for Brighton, he was booked in four games, sent off in one. Those four games were against Manchester United, Liverpool, Manchester United again and Chelsea. So he's clearly a guy who is keen to step up in the big games and it doesn't get much bigger than this as well. So um, yeah, I think in a game that promises cards his price in the market seems to be a little bit out of line with with other players in his position so nine to two ben white to be shown a card right then before we continue with the podcast please remember that if you are going to have a bet this weekend make sure that you do so responsibly george you've got some helpful tips on how to make sure that we do just that yeah it's important to us that the listeners of this podcast are in control of their gambling this is a podcast for those who are 18 years of age and older Please ensure that you are only staking what you can afford to lose and do visit BeGambleAware.org for any information to ensure that you're gambling responsibly. Let's finish then with Crystal Palace v Brighton, the Monday night football. And it's a big derby. It means a lot to both sets of fans. Brighton, Steve, unbelievable start. Unfortunately, on another podcast I do, I tipped them to get relegated at the start of the season. So that has means that they're now going to qualify for the Champions League. They are flying. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think people, um, as we've talked about, you know, as loads of people have talked about, they, they you know the way that they did last season, um, expected points got twenty five less than they than they should have done down on the data, and they've already they're getting the rub of the green this this season. I mean, you saw that against Leicester uh, on Sunday. You know, they had four wins from five. They've got five more points than the than they should have done. Uh, Maupay is, is scoring where he couldn't hit a barn door in the second part of the season last season. His XG last season was 16 and he and he scored eight goals. 
Um, so and and he's got three, I think, already this season. So they're a good side. I'm I'm, I'm pleased to see Graham Potter do well. I love his beard, and uh, hopefully from a from a punting point of view, you know, I, I have backed Brighton to, uh, they've gone from, I think, seven or four into four to seven to finish in the top half as well. And they could be even challenging top six. So if they do get a bit more rubber the green towards the, you know, the keep going through the rest of the season, Dan, I can see Brighton being very strong. George, Crystal Palace have got an array of attacking players and really interesting players in their setup. One of those is Michael Alisi, who they signed from Reading in the summer, could make his first start in this game. As our EFL expert, can you tell us a little bit about him? He's unbelievably good. Is that, is that enough? Uh, I absolutely yeah, love him. I'll take he it. Is, he is uh, very, very creative. He's one of those players, there are similarities and differences between him and Eze, where Eze is effectively um, somebody who likes to pull off tricks as much as possible, who plays with a smile on his face. Elise, Elise has that that look of enjoyment whenever he's playing and the skill, but it's the way that he strikes the ball that I love the most, both in terms of his set-piece delivery, his open-play delivery, his shooting. He's one of those guys who just has the most remarkable way of kicking a football, and that in itself is is a skill that I think often gets um, taken for granted. He can play wide, he can play... I think his best position is just in behind as a number 10, and he's somebody who I really hope we're going to see fairly soon because Eze, last season, eh, he, he was the player who captured the imagination a lot for Palace fans but I don't think he necessarily did it as consistently as as we'd have hoped as he'd have hoped you know he did it in flashes a couple of moments that showed how good he was I think Olise is is probably somebody who's going to come in and if he steps up immediately will have more of a a lasting impact maybe and especially given the players who'll be surrounding him you know he was the interplay that he had last season especially with Ovi Ajaria at Reading was was something to behold so when uh, he does come in with, with Zaha there to, to play alongside him. And when Eze eventually comes back, they're going to have so many options in that final third. So he's come off the bench twice. He's a player that I'm I'm really excited to see graduate to the Premier League. And I'm sure that as Eze did last season, he's going to capture the imagination pretty quickly, not just of Palace fans, but also other Premier League fans watching on as well. Palace gave a good account of themselves at Anfield last week, Steve. But if you're going to give a good account of yourself, you absolutely can't afford to concede three goals from oh. set pieces, which, which is what they did. But is this to be expected with the, with the rebuild, the changing faces that they've got in the team, that kind of organisation? It, it takes some time to gel with that kind of thing, doesn't it? Yeah, I suppose experience like uh, Cahill and, and Dan have left the club, haven't they? Uh, yeah. in, Pal- in Palace's defence, I know it was three set players wasn't it second phase set plays so I seem to remember Salah oh, I and Mane I still class yeah, set players yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean it's not like it? a big uh, it's not like a big lumbering centre and a half coming in and banging no. it in for, you know from the penalty spot I think Salah and Mane both had what we would describe as big chances in that game and Keita scored from a 0.03 uh, shot from the edge of the box and also if you dig back a little bit further, they have conceded the most set plays from goals in the division, but one of those was also Alonso free kick as well, I think against Chelsea, which was from the edge of the box, which wouldn't be classed as a as a big chance. So maybe they've been a little bit unlucky on there, um, you know, conceding from set plays, or maybe they're just not good, not good defensively. I suppose <laughs> we'll, we'll, we will find out against the Brighton, I suppose, who, who do have some uh, big lads at the back there. I think, this, the, you know, the two centre-halves are certainly, you know, new to the club and also, you know, getting to grips with the Premier League as well. So that's quite an exciting partnership. I think more not more on the floor than airily, you know, mm. than the pair of them, I think. But uh, 
I'd be more worried about, you know, they've had the least amount of shots on target on goal in, in, in the division currently. So maybe that will change as well. But uh, I think, I think uh, if you're Patrick Vieira, I think you're OK with the way it's gone so far this season. And what is your tip for the game, Steve? I've mentioned the big lad at the back. I've mentioned maybe Brighton have been decent at set players and Palace have been a little bit unlucky, but I'm going to go one step further and back Duffy, who, um, again, who George will know, I do like from centre-half. He's already had 10 goal attempts this season. It's the most joint most with Virgil van Dijk. Um, 10 efforts, unsurprisingly, all of those have been in the box and I'll go for Duffy to score at any time. Excellent stuff. Just enough time for me to remind you that you can sign up to The Athletic and benefit from the insight of some of the best sports writers in the business for just £3.33 a month at the moment. To take advantage of that offer, just head to theathletic.com slash football pod. We'll be back next Friday. So thanks to George and Steve for joining me as ever. A pleasure to preview the weekend's Premier League action with you. If you are enjoying the show, then please leave us a review. And as I say, we'll be back next Friday. Have a great weekend. Cheers. The Athletic.